Hello, listeners. Today is part of our special 20th episode. We've got a little treat for you guys. If you've been listening, you'll know that we've asked every one of our guests if they would share a piece of advice that has been beneficial to them in their career. So today we put together a compilation of this feedback, and you're going to hear from some incredibly inspirational and successful business leaders. Hopefully you find this useful in your own professional development. Let's get started. I'm George Lucas Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Work Inspired. This podcast brings together the top minds in commercial real estate, key influencers in architecture and design, business owners, thought leaders, technologists, and visionaries, all to explore how great work gets done. First up, let's hear from Jeff Lasky, a principal director at Shive Hattery, which is a major architectural and design firm. If you were mentoring someone right now, what's a piece of advice you'd give them? Going back to entrepreneurship, my first piece of advice would be that they're responsible for finding their own mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I were a mentor to them, I would encourage them to find other mentors as well. You know, I think finding different perspectives, diversity, rounding out who you're listening to and what advice you're getting. Um, is incredibly important. And I think, you know, taking personal responsibility for that mentorship is a step towards entrepreneurship and success in your career. Um, You know, I think certain organizations do a better job of coaching and potentially providing that mentorship within the organization. Um, But, you know, the people who reach out and say, I need help with this or I would like to discuss that with other professionals in the industry. You know, people are always willing to impart whatever knowledge they have if somebody seeks it out. It's much harder for somebody to go to somebody else and say, you know what, I think you need help doing this. Mm -hmm. Or I think you're doing this wrong or inefficiently. Um, So find your own mentors, like people that you respect within the industry and, and find different perspectives. Next up, let's hear from author and thought leader Rex Miller. Well, uh, I actually do mentor about 15 what I call young young dogs um, or young pups. And I, I work, work with them on the Clifton Strengths. And the research shows that the more you play to your strengths, you and, and your strengths are what you naturally do best and enjoy most. So the more you know what they are, the more you play to your strengths, you learn faster, you perform better because it's natural. Uh, Other people recognize higher performance and you get the satisfaction of that. It's rejuvenating. It's engaging and energizing to be able to do that. And you feel more satisfied. The converse is true. If you're if you don't know your strengths and you're kind of spread out or doing lots of things average, uh, you're not getting any of those benefits. So it's harder work. It's more frustrating, and that's what that's those are the things that begin to lead towards disengagement. From our episode "Innovation and the Early Adopter Mentality," this is Randy Simmons, the CEO and president of R.R. Simmons Construction. Well. You know, having having been in this industry for a long time, um, you know, I look back on the relationships I had with 
the broad business community. It's really been probably one of the best resources I ever had. Um, during early in my career, I figured out pretty quickly that I didn't just need to make friends solely within my own little circle of industry, but I needed to have friends that were in the banking industry and the real estate industry and the healthcare industry, whatever it was. Once again, trying to look for that diversity of thought because those opportunities were going to present themselves. And by having perspective, it was going to make me better prepared to respond to my clients' needs, my company's needs, my family's needs, and my friends' needs. Um, I think too often now that, you know, people take, you know, there's 500 channels on the, on the television set. Sometimes you need to look at all 500. Um, you can't just watch one channel at a time and expect that's an accurate depiction of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a broad journalist. I'm really good at Jeopardy and not very good at, you know, probably – Anything that makes you spell, I'm an absolutely atrocious spell. Um, but I'm, I'm hell on wheels on Jeopardy. And I, honestly, I think that having a, a broad perspective, you know, having taken art classes when I was getting a degree in construction wasn't an all bad idea, you know. And I think that that's the one thing that always concerns me today is that we're seeing more and more people limit things. And I'm a big STEM, STEM uh, supporter, but I think there's something to be said for having music and art classes still engaged. It makes you think in a, a much more rounded fashion. And I think that our clients are starting to realize that they need a more than a single dimension kind of response to things. So, um, you know, once again, that's my perspective, sort of my philosophy, if you will. And, and hopefully, you know, it's, it's service. Up next from California, we have Peter Jackson, the CEO of Bluescape. The best advice I have is that just being in an environment, sort of like you and I are talking now, where you you sort of push for a Zoom call with 10 people that you know in the industry and just say, hey, I want to just talk about how you're doing or whatever, because you're going to get insight from that group. And it could be a bunch of marketing people that you know or a bunch of salespeople you work with or worked with where you assemble them and you say, hey, can we do this once a month or, 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 or twice a month where we're, we're comparing notes and talking and what are you learning and what, what's going on out there? I'll, I'll finish by saying that the big reason I shut the business down and moved everybody home on the, uh, the 10th of March was I went to one of these guys paid to have like the head of the CDC, the guy who's cured SARS, and all this stuff, and they, and they put them in at this at University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, and we were in a, the Zuckerberg wing um, having a private meeting with these guys with like 15 of us. And for the next hour and a half, they basically gave a playbook of exactly what's going on now. And they told me, and, and then our whole group sat and listened and with our, our faces were dropped. And then we left, and one of them crafted up notes. It was supposed to be confidential because they brought a speaker in that, didn't want this information to get out. He sent the notes to everybody and someone in our group like shared it because it was pretty brutal data. It was the same, you know, hundred to 200,000 people are going to die and et cetera, et cetera. And that thing got out and actually there were doctors that were tweeting it. Like they were in the room. You could actually tweet, you go on Twitter and go UCSF, you know, COVID secret meeting. And it was tweeted a million times. It, It went around the world. And it was really the first thing. And it, and it was this group that, you know, I associate with. It's like, so I'm always getting data. You know, I've been to the prison. They've had meetings with Mother Teresa. They, 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 
they, they force to get a speaker to come in at all different levels. You don't have to be in a billionaire's boys club to do these kinds of things. You can create your own and have a valuable speaker, a coach, somebody come in and sort of share what they're thinking. And I think it opens up your mind. It takes you out of what you're doing and, and you can see things through other eyes and gain information. I mean, certainly you can read books that obviously it's helped me a lot, but at the end of the day, I think like I wouldn't miss these meetings for the world. Now let's hear from Rachel Druckenmiller, the founder and CEO of Unmuted. I mean, I think now is as good a time as any to do this because companies are like trying, they're, they're being forced to innovate. Even companies that hate having the idea of having to change are being forced to. And so one of the things that I did from, uh, you know, uh, early in my career, 22 years old, is I started to look for where there were gaps in things that, that I didn't think were being done as well as they could be or where there, it wasn't being done at all. And I realized I could do that. Like I was always one of the younger people at my company, you know, when I was starting off, I was one of the youngest and I had experience in, you know, this is, might sound crazy, but go, go, you know, 15 years ago, go back that far. And not a lot of people were really strong in certain Microsoft office tools. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn enough about how to train people on these things. And then I'll be the internal trainer. Um, and, and I, and I became that, or I was a writing tutor in college and I love to write, I've loved to write my whole life. And so I noticed that there wasn't any designated person who was editing like requests for proposal that were sent out for clients. So I was like, Hey, if you need somebody to edit RFPs. I, I can do that. And then in the midst of doing that, I'd be like, Hey, we thought about like restructuring this because this might make more logical sense. So I think, I think part of it is, is the importance of like being willing to create opportunities for yourself because it's not going to be that someone's always going to come to you and say, Hey, we really think you'd be great for this. Do you want to try it out? Like that's, that's not super common. And, and so we have to take initiative and uh, I'm really big in strengths finder. And, and so one of my strengths is activator and activator is somebody who likes to start stuff like, mm. all right. And, and, and so for me, part of that's just my wiring. Um, but I'd see like, look at something that's not being done as well as you think it could be. And don't go in with like a, hey, this sucks, like we need to totally change it. But to approach it, you know, reach out to somebody that you, um, that you know is involved in whatever that initiative is and say, hey, I've been thinking about something. I, I've been looking at this process that we do and I have some ideas. Would you be willing to have a conversation with me about some things that, you know, um, you know, I think that we might be able to do to make it even better than it is? Like, you'd have to try really hard to be offended by somebody asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> or, or feel like they're stepping on your toes. Because there's always a concern of like, well, this isn't my job. This is somebody else's job. I don't want to step on their toes. And that's, I think, where a lot of innovation dies, honestly. So I think being willing to do that, um, being willing to seek opportunities for yourself that can help the company. So I would ask to go to conferences, to go to certain events or certain trainings. And then I would say, and I, I said this authentically, I'm going to take what I learn in this. I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to bring it back to you and share the coolest things from what I've learned that I think will make us even better as an organization and support our people. And it's like, I'm doing the work, you know, and I'm like, oh, and I'm going to help you. And the goal is to ultimately help you. So I think, I think one of the things that happens with people that makes this not work is they come in with their agenda and their pet projects that is only important to them mm. that doesn't really have relevance to the business. It doesn't necessarily solve a problem or meet a need or make anything better. 
And then they're like, oh man, they just say no to everything. It's like, well, mm-hmm. did you integrate that with what matters to them? So I think really important to know if you're going to approach somebody with an offer or with a recommendation or the suggestion or an idea, understand first and foremost, what matters to them? What's their motivator? Um, what do they want to see get better and, and use that language to communicate what you want to do. And that is one of the ways that I was able to get a lot of stuff pushed through and experiment with a lot of things because I just knew what our leaders wanted to hear. Next up is Helena Madrigal, who is a VP at Katara Construction. Uh, I actually just went through this cause there's a couple people in the market that are actually out looking for some jobs. Um, younger people that I know. So uh, which is not, it's, it's unfortunate, right? It's an unfortunate scenario, but I always look at it as an opportunity for, for something good to happen. Um, and one of the, I think one of the most important things that I think I like to tell anyone at any age level is um, you have to, you have to, you have to, going back to leadership, okay? You have to know who the leaders are in that company. Know who they are. Really know who they are. Not, right? Not just the name not just uh, Googling the company or whatever, try to meet them. I think it's important to know who is going to be running the business. Um, And I say that because I think that knowing their values and um, yeah, particularly their values and their goals for that company is something that you should, you should be a part. You, you'll, you need to be a part of, you want to be a part of that eventually. So you need to know what it's about and understand it and then understand if you are, and then assess whether you are aligned with those values and goals. I think that that's important uh, in my mind. From our episode, Technology's Role for a Safer Return to Work, this is Lauren Gimilaro, the Senior Channel Manager at Envoy. I'm lucky in that I'm pretty early in my career, so I would say my advice would be more so directed to people who are in their first few jobs um, or right out of college. So um, my advice would be to not be afraid of change. I know that when we're growing up, we're always told you have to commit to things. Maybe it's committing to your volleyball team or a certain club in your high school or college. Um, and so once we get into the workplace, we, we see or feel this need to be um, dedicated to something. And of course, you should feel dedicated to your company. Um, but at the same time, to also not be afraid of change. So I, as an example, I started my career at Oracle. I worked there very shortly. Um, I made some great friends there, and I'm still great friends with them today. And I learned some great skills in terms of um, initial principles of selling. So it was incredibly valuable. Um, and one thing I learned that was there when I was there was that I'm not a fan of working for huge corporations. I do prefer the startup life. Um, I like how fast it is and how you have to think on your feet and always be moving. So again, um, to not be afraid of change. And one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes is, if you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and for too many days, you're, you're looking at yourself and saying, do I enjoy what I do? And if the answer is no, then move on. And I think that if you're truly passionate about what you do, um, no matter what it is, you will be successful. Vice President of Global Strategy and Marketing for Hayworth, Paul Nemshoff, shared this advice. You know, I think that there's a variety of things. And you go way back in my career, I think now I'm 45 now, soon to be 46, which 
seems old. Uh, others will argue. Others, others will argue. Oh, you're still young. But you go back where I think I was in my early 30s in living in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Um, this is back when we still owned Amshroff. And I was reading it. And I was asked by the young professional organization in Sheboygan to, to be their first ever keynote speaker. And I said, okay, I'll do it on two conditions. I said, number one, I get to talk about anything I want. And number two, you better have a second keynote speaker. Otherwise, I'll think that I did such a poor job that you canceled the event. Um, but there's a few big things. Number one, I always tell individuals, you have to own your career. It isn't on others to create a perfect pathway for you. Um, you need to approach your career like any other problem-solving reality from an education perspective, from an experience perspective, where you need to find things that interest you. Uh, at the same time, I'm not always a believer in the find your passion and make it your career. I think at times that can create some challenges in its own right. But I'm also a big believer in challenging people to put themselves in the thoroughfares of information where I think you may know this, I grew up racing cars and boats and everything else. And a phenomenon 10 to 15 years ago is professional race car drivers started becoming younger and younger and younger. And, and this doesn't mean that older people can't drive, um, particularly as I get older. Um, but one of the things is reacting versus thinking. And when we live in the world of sales, when we live in the world of computing and thinking through negotiations and thinking about how to approach things, when you put yourself on the thoroughfare of information and exchange of stuff and everything else, that's an ongoing programming of your brain. And what I'm trying to get to here is the evolution from thinking to reacting where if you can program yourself to understand problems, understand trends more quickly, it enables you to make quicker and more appropriate decision-making. And it's one of those where in this digital age where it just keeps accelerating and changing, you go back to, think about the 1950s. There was a telephone, there was no fax machine, there was no computer, there weren't smartphones. And you could have a phone call and then you could go sit by the fire and ponder a problem. Today, people come to you with a problem and if you don't respond immediately, they start texting you, emailing you, calling you, now teams calling you, whatever you want to call it. So it's one of those that through experiences and through information, I truly believe you can improve your professional performance uh, and success. And uh, the last key area, I believe in reading a lot. I like trying to stay up with current events. I try to challenge myself at least monthly to read some new business book, whether hot, whether recommended, et cetera. Because I think as you read through those, there's things that you always learn about, find podcasts that you like to listen to, uh, maybe this one. Uh, and I think that you can truly learn from it. So I think you need to control or maybe not control your career you need to own it good bad and otherwise because we all have our high points and we all have our quirks myself included i think it's important to continue to develop and learn and take 
pragmatic feedback. So the other one is always find mentors, find coaches, find people that you respect, that you can truly learn from and are willing to share with you. Bruce Platzman, the owner of AIS, a major manufacturing company in Boston, had this to say. Well, it's funny because I had that, uh, had my son back from uh, Clemson last night as a junior, and we were talking about the exact same thing that you're talking about because like most juniors, he doesn't know what he wants to do. He does extremely well, but, you know, what do I do for a career? What do I get into? And, and, and things like that. So, you know, I think that the advice that anybody should have entering the workforce is try to get into something, and, and you probably won't the first time right out of school. Try to get into something that you're really passionate about, you really like, uh, and, and gives you the opportunity to grow within that organization and uh, in, in within that career and with that uh, industry or, or whatever you're getting involved in. Uh, get out there and network. Uh, don't sit behind a desk and, and, and show that you want to work hard. Don't show up at 8.30 and leave at 5. You know, be the last one in the office. Be the first one in. You know, e answer emails after hours. Answer an email on Saturday. You know, you and I are doing this on a Saturday morning. You know, a lot of a lot of twenty-two year old kids wouldn't. What? what it's Saturday. It's the weekend. No, it it is the weekend, and you know, you and I will go off and and do our thing in an hour. But we put an hour of work in today, and uh, it gets noticed. And the people that succeed in an organization, I have found, and I just look at AIS as an example. You know, we've had so many people that have so many different skill sets, so many different personality traits, but if I was to put an AIS Hall of Fame together, it would there'd be one common denominator amongst all those people with different jobs and different DNA and different traits. They all worked really hard. And so I don't think you can be successful in any industry without working hard, unless you're really lucky. Uh, but so that's the that's the thing that I would really recommend. Show that you want to work hard, be personable, network, put the extra effort in, be passionate. And uh, usually good things will come to people that do all those things and always be on time for meetings. We'll never be late. The team from Envoy, Donna Claire Williams and Joanna Burgraff, shared this advice. For me, I think uh, what's most important is learn the processes and frameworks of the team that you're on, the organization that you're with, and be adaptable. And I think the, the first thing I'll address this way, learn the frameworks really so you can learn how best to break them. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come in into my team and they didn't like the way we did things. And, you know, on day five, it was like, can you, maybe you should do it this way and maybe you should change the process and change everything. But what the people who I've seen over and over in my career be most successful are the people who take the time to learn how things work and why, so that then they can so that then they can thoughtfully offer new ways to do things. Because then it's thoughtful and it's with a purpose. You know, we don't. Don and I are real. Like while we have a lot of processes on the team, we don't like process for process. I mean that that doesn't help anybody. We want to make sure it's it's useful. It moves things forward. It makes things efficient, and it helps the teams be more creative and. If somebody doesn't take the time to understand why that is, then, you know, that, that, then there's not a whole lot you can, you can do. And I think with that, uh, the adaptability goes hand in hand with that, you know, may not be your favorite thing, do it for a little while, and then offer some new way to uh, make it better. 
you know, and I think uh, we work in a creative and tech environment and, and things are always changing. You know, Adobe, for example, like the programs update on a weekly basis, you know, with uh, web design that, that literally the technologies change, you know, and month to month, our software engineers are constantly learning new things. And so you have to be flexible. You can't just be stuck on all oh, the way we did things last year, because that's not going to fly moving forward. So I think, yeah, thank, thank you. And I think one more thing, I think with all that, don't be afraid to fail. Because <laughs> while it's great to do things and do them really well, you learn the most when you screw things up and then learn from it and apply it to the next thing. So I think I'll just, I'll just conclude with that. My one biggest um, piece of advice would be to make data your bitch, right? Um, so, or make it, make data work for you, right? Um, one of the things that I have learned and struggled with in my own career, because I started as a graphic designer as well. Um, I, I have learned and tried to teach my team that um, you get a lot further and you can do a lot more creative, creative if you speak the language of your client. So for, for us, um, learning data and identifying metrics and then giving it back to our clients has really, really, really let us do so much more creative work than we were ever able to do. I think learning how, learning the reasons that your clients want the work, learning to ask not just what colors and fonts you want, but what is the problem that you're trying to solve with this creative, right? And really digging in and seeing like, how is this performing now? What are you hoping to get from it? Because depending on the results that your client is after, you're going to propose radically different creative solutions, right? If the result is to stand out, be remembered and have some brand awareness, that's one thing. You can be a little riskier, right? But if you're, if, if the goal is really to increase conversions three times on this email send, then you're going to really optimize for conversion and clicks, not memorable, creative, over the top, risky sort of stuff. Um, so that, that's my biggest takeaway. And, you know, like I said previously, I think sometimes when I, when I start talking about business results and business problems and data and tracking of the creative work, people think that means that I'm, you know, I, I, that seems to inhibit creativity, but it's actually the exact opposite. And if we as creatives do our jobs well, which Joanna and I have both taught the teams how to do this, we can do even more creative work and provide unmatched business results. So it's a win-win for everybody, really. And I'll just say, I'll add, if I may add to that, uh, it just in terms of creativity, while at, right at the office, our clients are most interested in results, but we also, while we make sure to add that creative touch, we have one, and I make it a point to uh, apply for design awards. And we do also get that external recognition. While we uh, philosophically are completely against you know, doing something just for the sake of an award, I will submit our really great work for those awards. And it's just the, you know, just proves our, we're on the right path when, when we do get that external recognition. From the legal industry, we had a partner from Quarles and Brady on the show, Ted Yee. This is what he had to say. 
one thing I think is it's very important for particularly a younger person is to always be constantly constantly curious. Don't don't be constantly what's the word for it? Uh, just in, in, inquisitive. Uh, if you don't understand something, try to figure it out. <laughs> don't just don't just don't just walk away from it. And it actually makes life a lot more enjoyable if 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 you uh, you know are constantly uh, trying to learn more things. And in order to do that, you've got to be curious about how things work, about how other people are, 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 are behaving or, um, so I, maybe it's be curious about things, be inquisitive. All right. Curious George, you got it. (laughs) There's one question I asked before that I I didn't think I answered about, uh, about, I think stories about people who have mentored me. If, Mm -hmm. yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so early on in my career, a big part of uh, our job is we, we do reading and writing and drafting, but then a big part of what I do is negotiating where we, uh, you know, work things out with the, with the other party. It's not adversarial like a litigator is, uh, but it's still negotiating. I mean, both parties have goals and they both, and they match, otherwise you wouldn't be doing a deal, but not exactly. <laughs> so, so negotiating is a big part of what we do. Uh, so early in my career, there was uh, a senior partner named Kevin Garvey that was at my, my, my old firm, uh, led me through negotiations. He, had, he allowed me to sit in and, and, and watch how he did it. Um, but the critical point is at one point in time, he's got to let you loose and let you do it on your own. And not, not every partner can do this. So he actually had me fly out to California for a couple day negotiating session uh, it turned out to be a good friend of his that was opposing counsel. So I just sat in a room with this, with this opposing counsel and negotiated a very complicated deal, you know, on my own after, after Kevin had trained me and taught me, but again, but like I said, you know, training wheels come off at some point in time, which is, <laughs> which is a hard thing for some mentors to do, especially in a professional setting, but he did. Uh, and it was a huge, uh, growth for me, growth moment for me, <laughs> and it, I, I didn't realize at the time, but I, he, you know, the person that was the opposing counsel was a good friend of his, so <laughs> I don't think they had discussions about it, but it was like, okay, take care of Ted, he's going to be slow at this, but uh, I, I, it was it was great, uh, and Kevin uh, Kevin allowed me to do that, uh, and that was that has got to be now, let me think about this, uh, like 30 years ago, man, it, it if not, if not longer, uh, yeah, and that was a big step. And something that you, and something you remembered thirty years later, you know, that's that's cool, and that's the type of impact that you can have, right? When you, when you take the time to, to share some of your expertise and knowledge, you can, you can, you know, imp- impress upon some somebody an experience that they'll remember for decades. I think that's really cool. You know, uh, the Boy Scouts have a training method. It's called Edge. You, you know what that is? So no, no, I've not heard of it. Edge E D G E. So it starts with E. You explain what's happening. Uh, D. You demonstrate. You know well, how to do something, and that's what Kevin did. He demonstrated to me how to how to negotiate, and then he then you guide. Then you have the person do it, uh, and you guide them through it. But they're actually doing it, but you're still providing guidance. Uh, and then the final the final E is I think it's I, I call it uh, encourage, uh, but then you you got you let them loose. Next up was managing principal at Cressa, Alan Rogaway. I think some of the stuff we've talked about, I mean, find ways to help people with what we do in an authentic you know, way, talk about their, their business and their people 
Um, you know, and then the, the real estate, you know, output will come at some point, but, but that's how you create those more authentic relationships. I've leaned on my network, you know, big time through, um, through this. And, and again, really spending time, you know, on, on, uh, these kind of, you know, uh, you know, calls with other uh, leaders in other industries to find out, you know, what, how is it affecting their, their industry, their business, so that I can be more empathetic and, and, and think about ways that, that what we do helps. But, you know, I, I just think, you know, the conversations, again, we talked to some of our, our, our more you know, junior brokers that, that, you know, tone is really uh, important, you know, uh, over the past uh, few months, but it will be continuing going forward, right? You got to be uh, really careful of, um, you know, trying to be opportunistic with such a horrible, uh, you know, global event. Um, but, you know, you don't want to also, you know, uh, you know, that balance between, you know, you know, that companies, corporate users of space, you know, do need our expertise and our services. And, and you don't want to be, uh, you know, you, you got to keep yourself positive. Um, and, and, you know, that, that again, I think it, it comes across when you have conversations, but I, I think just, you know, talking to other, uh, people, you know, friends, colleagues in other sectors, uh, that you can use, you know, what, what they're dealing with, um, to create, you know, uh, really ideas for, for implementing space solutions, but, uh, you know, just staying, staying positive, not, not, you know, again, the strong will come out of this. Um, you know, the ones that, that can, you know, maintain contact, that can, that can have, you know, meaningful conversation with companies will come out of this, I think in a, in a, with, with this, these deeper, more authentic relationships. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just, again, to a lot of the young people in the business, I'm saying, you know, now is really going to define uh, your career. And, you know, this is where, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to sort of reset. It's kind of a great resetting, right? With, with corporate, uh, America, global, uh, corporations that, that everyone's now sort of on the same footing. You said at the beginning, George, this is unique and that it's, it's truly to, to every individual, every corporation. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to, to reset and get in front of companies that before might've just been business as usual. Here's who we work with you know, why would we change? Right. So, so I think, I think it's, I'm optimistic. From London, CEO of Free Space. This is Raj Krishnamurthy. Um, get to know your customer, like the back of your hand. Um, look for delighting them every, in every interaction, you know, seek out what they would expect you to do and beat that expectation. I mean, customer centricity is probably by far the most important thing in today's, uh, business and understanding your customers really kind of getting into their uh what what makes them tick uh, that that's going to make you grow very effectively and very quickly president of the anti-cruelty society tracy elliott shared this with us well i would go back to the you know two ears one mouthpiece um and and really develop your listening skills develop your empathy empathy today is i think the absolute base, basic leadership requirement. 
it's just an expectation that people have in the workplace today. And non-empathetic leaders have a hard time maintaining their um, leadership profile and effectiveness. I would also say, you know, never stop learning, never stop developing. You're never there. You're always becoming, always developing. And so be very intentional about that. Choose your battles wisely. Can't fight about everything. You can't, you've got to focus on things that really are important to you and your organization and let the rest of it be. Trust, you know, build, build a team that you trust and let them go. You know, micromanagement is, is old command and control and people don't respond to it anymore. Um, what they do is they just then do the basics of the job without creativity, without passion. So you really have to let people flourish and get out of their way and clear obstacles out of their way. And then really concentrate on making sure people have, understand the meaning in their work, the impact of their work, how important it is, how important every single person in the organization is. And then don't take yourself too seriously. From our episode, Managing Change at a Global Organization, this is Dario Konepsky, Vice President of Human Resources at Emerson. Number one, I'm a fan of, uh, I think I'm a fan of mentorship. I think we all need to look for a mentor, either formal or, or informal. Uh, uh, there is a framework that we use at the company, and there are also some, you know, a methodology that I use uh, for either coaching or, or, or mentoring. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a key component of your development. Uh, at Emerson, we use this model of 70, 20, 10, where 70 is, uh, is the 70 percent that you learn uh, by and you progress your career by you know doing what you do uh, you know in the job what we call in the job it is a 20 percent you know that it's uh, what you learn from others that you that you learn you know working in projects and then there is of course this 10 percent that you learn by you know your formal education training different courses that that, that you take uh, but in this 20% of your learning from others, uh, men mentoring is super important, super important. And I think uh, uh, we all need it. Uh, uh, there is no question about it. And if I, I always give the, uh, this advice to people, always look for a, for a mentor, either formal or informal. Uh, just invite people that you, you know, that you think I can give you a good advice to, you know, when you can to have a coffee or in these days to have a, to do a you know, video conference, to have a phone call. But it is important to have these, uh, these mentors, especially in these situations where many times, you know, you, you, you are not, you know, there's so much uncertainty and many times you don't know what is the right uh, course of action. So, so, you know, I think that, you know, uh, having these mentors is important. In my case, when I, when I work in, 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 with my mentees, uh, I always recommend people to have a plan. I think that, you know, you need to have a plan. If you have a plan, uh, someone else will uh, make a plan for you. So it is important that whatever you want to achieve, you know, have your plan. There are many books that can help you to, to write down your plan and to create your plan, how to sharpen your plan. But I think this is a must. Everyone needs to have a plan and they need to know what do they want to achieve, even if they want to, even if they change it in the future, if they adapt the plan in the future. But I think number one is you need, you need to have a plan about what you want to do. And once you have that plan, I think you need to work in your network. Uh, today, more than ever, you need to work in your, in your network. You need to, you know, you need to find these formal and informal mentors. You need to, you know, uh, you know, show yourself, 
express to people what are your interests, what do you want to achieve in your career, look for advices, uh, you know, participate, you know, in projects. Uh, but you need to you need to find ways to, to to build your network. Once you have your plan, you have you work your network. Then uh, there is a very simple advice that I give to my people is that you need to work hard. Uh, you cannot allow anyone to work harder than you uh, for your goal. You, there will always be someone taller, shorter, everything, but there cannot be someone that will work harder than you to achieve those goals. So you need to work hard. And once you have those three things, always remember to to be grateful. So that's the framework that I use. So the number one advice is work in your plan, work in your networking, and then work really, really hard in what you want to achieve and never forget to, to be grateful. Um, and other times, you know, uh, I, I also discuss how to build your career uh, and, 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 and that career to, that will help you to achieve what you, what, what you want to achieve. And, and, and there, is a, there is a formula, it's also, you know, that it's simple, that is build trust. You need to know how to build trust. You need to have the right experiences and then you need to, as I said before, you need to build your network. But uh, building that trust uh, through integrity, uh, you know, delivering what you promise that you will and, 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 and showing that you know what you do, uh, that, that will help you to build that trust that will, that will uh, help you continue building your career. Uh, maybe a long answer to, to your question, but, you know, I'm a fan of mentoring and, and, and coaching. Everyone needs a mentor. SVP of Advanced Innovation and Chief Science Officer at Lululemon, Tom Waller, shared this with us. I would say if you speak to every person that you respect who has seemingly has it all, just acknowledge they too still waiting to see if they get found out. Guaranteed. Guaranteed that everyone is still at the mercy of, of doubt. And then also ask them how they got there. You will never hear a classical path, a guarantee. So everyone got there uniquely. And that means, you know, perpetually asking, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? When you, when you let go of what do I need to do next and you get, you become clear of, really understanding who you are and, and what is the sort of the biggest, most powerful expression of who you are, you will get everything that you want. You can't live someone else's life. You can only live your own. So learn you, learn yours, acknowledge that you'll feel doubt all of the time and be proud of the unique path that you take. I love that acknowledging doubt is actually a really optimistic th way to feel. You know, the fact that everybody's, everybody's going to have their failures. Everybody's going to feel some doubt. But if you recognize that and acknowledge that, you can be really optimistic about your ability to move forward with purpose and achieve your goals. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, think about every pioneer in history that, that it was a calculated risk that they didn't, they didn't know. They were just willing to deal with the consequences of failure. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and that's, that's where the pioneers the you know the adventurers the innovators the ones i mean obviously we only remember all the great stuff and and then we read books about all the crappy stuff but that's the re the reality is is if you if doubt is your friend you recognize that you're not going to have the luxury of certainty and zero ambiguity corporate vice president at microsoft steven guggenheimer had this advice you know it depends a lot on the individual 
what they're after, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. You know, for me, the the advice I give a lot of people on their on their journey is, you know, with each step along the way, take as big a step as you can. So, you know, move yourself as far from what your comfort zone is as people will allow you, um, because that'll give you, you know, more chance to grow. You'll always feel a little behind um, uh, in terms of uh, of your ability in that new role. And so it's a, you know, my analogy at Microsoft when I was talking to folks is if you, let's just say we're in the marketing department and you are a, you know, product manager on Windows, let's just say you're doing PR on Windows. If you move to doing PR on Office, that's kind of a one step change. You only change one degree of freedom. If you went from doing, um, um, PR on you know Windows to doing or PR on Windows to doing let's say channel on Office. Well, then you've changed two degrees of freedom. Mm-hmm. If you went from doing sort of PR and Windows to working in the sales organization in Sweden, that's you know multiple degrees of, of, of separation. Most people won't allow you to make a too big a jump in the beginning because they don't know your skill set. So what you want to do is take as big a step as people will allow you to, so you can grow your tool belt of skills. Um, so that then over time, what happens is people see you not as, oh, Steve's a great PR person, but oh, Steve's a leader who can communicate well, who can hire well, who can you know build a team, can be strategic, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're willing to give you bigger and broader roles, not because of the job you've had, but because of the skills you've accumulated and demonstrated. Up next was David Murphy, who's an executive vice president at CBRE. I would say the first thing is in in our business, the real estate brokerage business on the commercial side is you have to have a passion. So I do mentor uh, folks and, and I love to kind of give back. This commercial real estate business has been great for me. And uh, one of the things that you can do is kind of leave a small legacy and try to help the next generation come up through. And the first thing I always tell folks when they're looking to get into our business is you really have to love our business. You can't just like it because you can make money at it. Uh, You have to really be passionate about your business. So in commercial real estate, it's a little bit different than on a residential side. In commercial, people specialize. Unless you're in a smaller market where you can just sort of be the commercial player in your small tertiary market. If you're going to be in a secondary or primary commercial real estate market, you have to specialize. So we call them the food groups of commercial real estate, but that could be multifamily sales, office leasing, office sales, industrial, retail, land, hotels. These are all different specialties within the commercial real estate industry. So the next component is trying to find what product type you're, you're interested in. Right. And don't get into industrial just because it's popular today, because it could easily rotate back out into something else. Office and multifamily were kind of the, you know, I would say two of the product types that attracted a lot of people into our industry. And now we're starting to see folks kind of get into industrial. You got to you got to love the product type. You got to love the business and you got to be willing to to work in a uh, commission oriented uh, field where I start every year. I tell people every year I start out at zero and I really don't know how well the year is going to go. And so you have to budget appropriately. And so I think the other thing is today our business has trans 
uh, transformed into more of a team approach. Whereas when I started, everybody was kind of their own broker. And today, you know, we have a team. Our, our team, uh, we have four people on our team. You'll find a lot of teams that have 10, 15, 20 or more people on a team. And in that regard, I think it's a little bit easier to get into our business today because you can join an established team and come in as sort of a newer newer person on that team and learn. So I think that that's kind of an advantage that, that folks have today that uh, wasn't as prevalent when I got into business uh, 20 some years ago. And so, uh, and then, you know, right now I would say that it's just really important to uh, learn everything about your industry. So if you decide to get into commercial real estate, you can't sort of just uh, haphazardly walk into it and, and try it out, dip your toes in for a year or two. You have to throw yourself in and, and fully commit to it. And uh, it's a great, great industry. I love the, the brokerage business and it's been very good to me. And I love helping you know, the, the uh, folks try to get into the business. And my, yeah, my recommendation to anyone looking to start in a commercial brokerage business is to find a mentor. Find somebody that's already successful and find somebody, too, that, that shares your culture and, and shares, uh, you know, you, you want to find somebody that you can look up to in our business and, and learn how they're doing it and, and find somebody that's doing it the right way. And I think if you if you do that and you find a good mentor and if you're new and you want to join a team, if you join the right team and learn and, and have somebody that'll that'll take you under their wing and really show you the business that, that, that would give you a huge advantage starting out in our industry today. And finally, all the way from New Zealand, Vince Warnock, who's an author, marketing strategist, international speaker, and formerly the CMO for Cigna. Yeah, I think there's three things that I'll, I'll kind of add to that. Um, you kind of hit it on the head with a lot of that. Um, one of them is you've got to know why you're doing it. And uh, for me, there, there's two aspects to this uh, when, I, when I think about why I do it. One is my family, which is everything to me. My wife is one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life, obviously. Um, but the two of us don't come from particularly good backgrounds. Um, we both grew up in, in environments that you wouldn't want a lot of people to grow up in. Um, and we've been there for each other through that whole time. Like we've you know, said we've been married for 25 years um, and we were engaged for a year before that, met a couple of years before that. Um, so we've known each other for over half of our life. Um, and then ironically, by the way, a slight tangent here, but um, I remember when we were engaged, we went down to a friend of hers is 21st and, um, and the dad of her friend had one of those old reel-to-reel kind of video cameras, you know, uh, and projectors and things. And he was playing an old video of my wife when she was about, oh, well, she would have been about nine or 10 um, with her friend, whose birthday it was, playing the flute because the two of them used to play the flute. And he started playing this video and I was like, wait, what? Hang on, I know you. And Leanne's going, yeah, duh, we're engaged. And we, no, no, wait, I know you, I know, ah. And then I made the connection. I saw her when she was about nine, I was about 11. Um, we used to have this um, skating rink um, for, you know, roller skates um, here in, in uh, Wellington called Skateaway. And every kid went there. That was what you did. 
And I remember seeing her there and I followed her around and around. I was so infatuated with this girl. Um, she didn't even know I existed. Um, but, but I realized you were there at Skateaway. And she's like, wait, yes. And we made the connection and realized we had actually known each other for far longer than we, we even realized. So I, always, I just think it's destiny, man. We, we were meant to be there. But anyway, so that's a big part of my motivation is my wife and my kids. And by that, I mean, yes, I want success so that they have what they need. But also I want them to know that they can do anything, um, particularly with our kids as they're now coming into their careers. I really want them to, to know that you can take chances and you can try different things and you may fail, but you know what? If you don't do anything, you'll definitely fail. So you might as well just try it and see if you succeed. But to do that, I need to not just say that to them. I need to showcase that, which means I need to consistently get outside of my comfort zone, whether I feel it or not. Um, so that's a huge motivation for me is showcasing that you can do so much more than just having a day job. You can always try new things and never be afraid to change or be afraid, but just do it anyway. Um, and then the, the second thing, which is the, probably the biggest advice I'll give to anyone is you need mentors. You need people that you look up to and be very cautious when you're looking up to people as well. Cause often, um, I know this from one of my heroes in the industry that I met, um, who's just an incredibly nice person. I won't, won't put them on the spot. Um, but it's one of those moments where you meet your hero and you're like, yay, they're not a dick. <laughs> That's really cool. But we went out for a few beers and uh, when I met them and I was just like, oh, this is wonderful, you know. And after a few beers, they started talking about how their relationships was a mess. Uh, financially, they were struggling. But by the way, professionally, nailing it. And I was like, oh my goodness, we put people on these pedestals and we forget that they're actually human beings. They have the same challenges, the same insecurities, the same issues that we do. Um, so, but choose mentors that you want to be like that uh, are open and have the same kind of DNA issue. And by that, I mean, there's no point me going and getting a mentor that's all about sales, 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 because I'm not driven by that. I'm driven by helping people, helping people, helping people. Um, so mentors are really, really important. Um, and then the, the third thing is, you know, as I said, we all do suffer from imposter syndrome at some point um, and recognizing that's really important. But more important than that is just turning up. And even when you don't feel like it, and this is, this is my mantra on my wall, uh, which none of you can see because you can't see into my room here. Uh, on my wall, I have three daily kind of things that I put up there. One of them is just start because often like with writing, um, it's not about the book itself. It's not about the section. It's not about the chapter or, or even the, the paragraph or the sentence is about the first word you write. The second you start writing, you're an author. The second you start, you're going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And often that's the biggest barrier is that start. So just start even when you're not feeling it. Move the needle, uh, which is a reminder to me. I used to have up there hustle hard, but I don't actually believe that. Um, I don't think that people should sacrifice most of their life just to try and build something. I think there's a balance that you need. And moving the needle for me means yes, you've got to keep turning up. You've got to keep making sure you're working on the things that are important. But the key thing is the right things. It's really easy as entrepreneurs to get distracted by the easy stuff and go, oh yeah, I'm hustling, you know, I'm out there, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but we're, we're resistant to do the things that we know will move the needle for our company because it's scary. Um, and then the last thing for me up there, I have keep writing um, because I, despite the fact I never thought I'd be an author, um, going through the process of writing a book has been one of the most cathartic things I've ever done. Um, it's incredible. Like the, just the structuring your thoughts, putting them down on paper is really powerful. So 
Yeah, so that's my biggest advice is make sure you get a mentor. Um, remind yourself why you're doing it, uh, which for me, as I said, is family, but it's also the people that I'm impacting. And, and I, you know, someone said to me once, because I, I mentor a lot of people, and someone said, oh, that's so selfless. And it is not selfless at all. And I put it out there. It is very selfish because I live through other people as well. I get a, an incredible sense of pleasure from seeing someone break through a barrier or, you know, get that moment where they believe in themselves and things. So that's really important. And then the last one was um, just turn up anyway, every day, just turn up. Yeah. I, I heard a, heard a, a, a terrible quote, but I'll just, I'll explain this. But um, I was talking with one of my mentors and she was saying her, her boyfriend has a saying uh, and he goes, he was moaning about, people that are into like, you know, hippie stuff and that. And he's going, oh, you know why rain dancing works, don't you? It's just because they keep rain, uh, they keep dancing until it rains. And I'm like, I know he meant that as an insult, even though I'm not into that stuff, but I know he meant it as an insult. But the reality is that's spot on. Like you have a choice. You can either do it and chance that you might fail or not do it and definitely fail. So you might as well try it and then just keep dancing until it damn well rains. Well, there you have it. I hope you found all that advice as valuable and as insightful as I did. Hopefully you can apply some of what you heard to your professional development and future. Thank you so much for listening. We'll have new episodes coming up soon. Stay tuned. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.